What does it mean to live with less stuff and more compassion? That's the question we aim to answer every Monday on the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. Hello, my name is Michael, and together with my wife, Marsha, we run the minimalistvegan.com where you can find articles, recipes, and more podcast episodes like this, uh, all about the intersection between minimalism and veganism. And in this episode, we've got a special guest on. We don't normally have guests on, but um, we've got Gemma Davis on to talk about minimalist exercise and how a yoga practice or any movement from salsa and pilates, which she also does, um, can help us and uh, fuel the soul and bring us connected to ourselves through self-compassion and compassion for others. We cover a whole range of topics in this episode as uh, Marsha and I have been thinking a lot about movement recently and the importance of that in our lives and 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 how we can use minimalism to free up that time to prioritize it more and uh this episode is for anybody regardless of whether you're a parent you have a lot of work commitments care commitments um or if you do have a bit of free time uh and you're not finding that you are prioritizing movement in your life um so i hope you enjoyed this conversation just keep in mind that uh we did record this uh, through the internet so the audio quality might not be as loud as what it normally is so please make sure you turn it up um, but look you're listening to episode 27 of the minimalist vegan podcast i'll chime in after the episode to fill in any gaps chat to you soon all right marcia you ready yes <laughs> <laughs> Gemma, you ready yes i am awesome awesome um so, so guys, really excited to have a guest on for this conversation um, around exercise and movement and mindfulness. Um, we've got Gemma Davis. If you go onto our homepage right now, you'll see her a beautiful face mm-hmm. and a, a bit of a quote <laughs> from her on theminimalistvegan.com. So um, Gemma is actually somebody we interviewed uh, years back, probably four a, years. Was it four years ago? Yeah. Uh, four years ago on the blog about a whole bunch of things because a lot of our values align. Uh, she's been a vegan for many years. She's a yoga instructor, naturopath, um, and an activist. And, and an author. And an author, sorry. <laughs> a cookbook author as well. Um, but so many things overlap and we're able to have a chat about um, her vegan journey, her content creation journey, her relationship with her kids in a, in a plant-based house and all of these really interesting topics. So we'll certainly link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. But for this conversation, we really want to go deep into the philosophy of exercise and movement. Um, it's something that all three of us are probably at very different stages uh, with movement and our relationship with exercise in our bodies. And we thought it'd be interesting to bring that in. Uh, it ties in really nicely to minimalism and compassion. And we thought there'll be no better person to talk about that than Gemma with... How many years experience of yoga practice do you have, Gemma? Uh, how old am I? <laughs> About 17 years. 17 years. Wow. That's incredible. So, uh, like, I think for me, like, for somebody to have that much longevity in any practice i'm just so curious to see like where your what your relationship with exercise has been before yoga have you always been somebody who's been physically active or Mm. is that something that has developed over time well i definitely came from a house where exercise was valued Mm -hmm. my dad was actually an olympian oh wow so he played for the australian hockey team and won a silver medal in the Montreal Olympics in 1976. If you come to our house, he will proudly show you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so we really grew up, grew up as children at the hockey stadium. He was coaching, he was playing, he got us playing at a very early age. And I went to a high school for a hockey scholarship wow. where we okay. played, um, I think we probably went to the hockey stadium every single day and were training physically. Now, of course, hockey is very different to yoga. Hockey is about quite explosive movement. It's a competition. It's a team sport, which is great fun, and I loved it. But when I sort of got to about, oh, I think it's 17 years old, I just you know, lost interest. I was working overseas quite a lot. I couldn't hold a place in a team because I was away a lot and it was hurting my back because you're running around bent, bent over. Mm. And I sort of probably stopped being physically active maybe for a year or two while I was traveling, working, and then found, found yoga, which was very different for me because it's all about, it's not about competition. It's the polar opposite of that. It's about coming home to yourself. It's something you do as an individual, but, but at the same time, it's not individual. It's about learning that you're part of a whole, really. Mm. Right. See, that's a really uh, fascinating origin story because, um, you know, Marsha and I talk about that all the time in terms of when we reflect on our childhood, we're really physically active in team sports. Yeah. Mm. So um, like yourself with hockey, for me, it was basketball. Um, and for Marsha, I think it was volleyball, uh, volleyball and... Well, I did a lot of swimming and yeah volleyball mainly. yeah um, we both were dancers as well um and and i think it's it, it was always in a group environment more or less it was always in a competitive environment and physical activity was associated with play um mm. and and that moment of competition so to see your transition coming from the household that you come from from that sort of team practice compet you know competitions and and that play to this this uh, individual practice for such a long time is is very fascinating. Um, do you miss at all that sort of team environment, that competitive aspect, or has your personal practice really taken over um, in, in sort of your relationship with your body? Well, I think team sports are great because they're about community and, and connecting with people, so they can be really fun. But I guess speaking on the minimalist vegan, it's really about what you can fit in your life. Mm. And for me, where I'm at, I can't have a practice with a group team sport and be a mother and work and do yoga. It's just too much. Yeah. So do I miss it? Not particularly. I miss aspects perhaps of it. But I also dance now as well. And I found salsa about five years ago. And brought that into my life. And I dance now for fun and joy and community. And that sort of has taken over that place where I felt like that was missing, which yoga didn't feel. You've got something that's, again, a little bit more, you know, boosts the energy and compared to yoga where it's very slow and flowy. and But salsa is, you know, just has that high energy type of, type of vibe about it. So you've, you've obviously found a good balance for yourself between those two things in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And the yoga I practice probably isn't that slow. I mean, there is an <laughs> aspect. I do practice yin, which is very, very slow, Yeah. which is long holds. You hold the positions for about three to five minutes. And it's much about going into the connective tissue. It's slowing down, coming in. 
Whereas I practice the yoga as well. It's very based on an Ashtanga system, which is quite dynamic still as well. But yes, very different from salsa, which is, yeah. you know, loud music, lots of spinning hips movements. Yeah, sounds well, like fun. Well, yeah, it does. And it just goes to show that like, you know, you don't have to commit to, you know, one form of movement. There's so many different types of movement that give you different things in life. I'm, I'm really curious, like what got you hooked on yoga? Like what mm. do you remember the the process or the steps? Because I think it's, uh, I've tried yoga. <laughs> I've, I remember going to that class in Bali and that guy just completely oh, but that was beat up on us. Like he, he saw like two dudes in the class and he, he, his goal was to show that yoga was like hard. And I'm like, I've got nothing to prove here. I'm just trying to like keep up with everybody. <laughs> And um, that was like my experience with, in a class that was horrible. So I've tried like a personal practice on like mobile apps and things. And, um, and, and I know you've tried it as well, mm. but it's, it's, it and hasn't gone to quite, classes and have stuff. You? Yeah. Right. When we had it at mum's clinic, oh, when yeah. we had the yoga classes there, I used to go there, but I did, you know, yoga at home as well. I found a really good YouTube video that I obsessed over and that was perfect and it stretched out my body well, it wasn't too hard, like I could actually do it, which is, <laughs> which I can't say for probably 90% of um, yoga moves out there, but it um, it was great. And then all of a sudden it disappeared off YouTube and I was devastated. <laughs> so I haven't been able to find another one exactly mm. like that or similar to it since. Um, but it's funny, Michael mentions, I totally forgot about that yoga class that we did in Bali. It was on our honeymoon and it was at our, um, resort. And I just said to him, oh, look, it would be really nice if we just went together and did a yoga class. And I was like midway through, I think I was just in child's pose. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And it was hot and humid and it was outside. I mean, the most amazing view of the um, of the forest and the mountains and stuff from the space, but it was just like hell. Yeah, <laughs> we mm. both hated it. <laughs> so, but yeah, but we've I think we've understood some of the benefits of yoga to oh, try yeah, and attempt definitely. it, but like we we haven't got to that moment of like kind of getting hooked, and we see that there's a lot of people who are sort of embody this whole movement, and there might be people listening to this who have been to a class or two or have downloaded an app or followed somebody on YouTube, but it hasn't quite caught on. So I'm really curious from your perspective, what got you into it? And from the people and the students that you teach, what have you found has been the turning point for them as well? Yeah, I think um, traditionally yoga has always been a guru student relationship. So you really find a teacher that you connect to and you stay with that teacher for a period of time and they they get to know you and they get to know your practice and then they help facilitate the relationship you end up developing with your yoga practice. Yep. Now, obviously, it's moved away from the guru-student relationship, which is probably a good thing because um, you are not my guru. You know, <laughs> we have to find our guru within and unfortunately, coming out of India, some of the um, unequal power relationships people have taken advantage of and we found out a lot about that in the Me Too movement which has come into the yoga space as well. Sure. But but even just in Western society we need to find a teacher first of all that we really connect to because the way a teacher brings yoga to you may speak to one person and then to someone else may not inspire them at all. So 
You really need to find someone that inspires that spark in you and who invests in your journey and who cares and, and who can help you. So for me, I was very lucky. I had just come out of a breakup. I was in that stage of my life coming out of being a teenager, you know, wondering what the hell I was going to do with my life, who I was, low self-esteem. And I walked into a place called Eight Limbs Yoga in Perth. And I think it was probably one of the only studios around at the time before it's really exploded. And they had, they offered Ashtanga yoga, which is a, a lineage of yoga that's come from Patabi Joyce, um, which is a series set yoga practice. So you practice the same asanas in a series day in, every day. And then as you are ready, as a teacher deems you ready and you see as your body is opening and strengthening, they'll give you the next posture in the series. And they were very, very um, quite, I guess, strict at the time. And they really just wanted you to be committing to six days a week or not at all, wow. which was probably exactly what I needed at the time. Yeah. It wouldn't be what I need now, but at the time I found a community where they were committing and you came in and because I was committing to coming every day, because it was the same asanas every day and I got to learn my body through practicing the same thing again and slowly opening up, I had this real transformation, not only on a physical level, like I began to get even more flexible, stronger, but I found a real sense of calmness and I guess it really helped with my sense of self-worth. And so like anything, if you really feel good when we do something, you want more of it. So that was really, I was very lucky that I found that studio. Yeah, wow. And it, it really hooked me. That's, um, that's really comforting to hear. And I think that's, that's such a really valuable point you just made there about it's about how we feel. And, and I think that's, you know, if, if you walk away from a session feeling good about yourself, you're, you're going to be more motivated to come back the next day and the next day and the next day. And um, did you feel like that six days a week immersive, sort of experience was necessary for you at that stage, you said? At that stage it was because, I mean, anything, when we break bad habits, it's quite hard for us. Mm. And to establish new, new good habits, it's also quite hard. So if you repeat it daily, it does become a habit and you just do it without thinking, like brushing your teeth. I got up and I went to yoga, started my day like that, which is a great way to start the day. So I always let people now know because when they come to my yoga classes, I teach a few a week because I just love it. I make sure that they know they probably won't feel great after the first or second time <laughs> because, you know, we can feel it's like going to the gym at first. You leave and you saw the next day. Yeah. Um, it's the same when you practice yoga or and you walk away and you go, oh, goodness, I wasn't flexible as the person next to me. Mm. So I really make sure people understand that it's not about a competition, mm. that it's about learning to know your own body. It's about breath. Like ultimately, it doesn't matter if you can do a handstand. It doesn't matter if you can touch your toes. It's about breathing and connecting to your breath. And I think that's where people leave feeling good when they know that and when they practice that. Mm. And I also do make sure they know that if you're coming once a week, you probably won't get the benefits from that yoga can right. offer you. I see. But I don't think you need to come six days a week. I think that's quite a lot for mothers and fathers and working people, people working full time to commit to these days. But if they can commit to three times a week, I think that's a really great place to start. 
And what and why do you suggest that frequency? Is that just um, to is, is that just to build that that confidence, or is it to get a particular type of result? Um, you know, why have you found at least three times a week is sort of ideal to get started? Well, I don't think yoga is about result. First of all, sure. So I think people need to know that it's not about trying to get better. And I think you probably come to yoga thinking oh, yes, I'm getting more flexible. Yes, today I can touch my toes. What happens is when you have a long-term practice is that you recognise that your body will change, that there's periods of time where, you know, once upon a time I could drop back and do a backbend and grab my ankles. Um, And my priorities have changed. I've had two children, I am older, and I can no longer do that. Does that mean I am not a yogi or I'm not progressing in yoga? No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. It probably means that I've just learned to let go and learn the lessons that yoga can teach us. Three times a week, I'd, it'd be great if we could come five days a week, really. It's just about the more we do it, the more intimate we become with the relationship of getting out of our minds and into our body. So the more time we spend coming to our breath, getting out of our mind, Um, which is what yoga really helps us do, the more um, connected with that feeling we're going to become and the easier it becomes to replicate that sensation off the mat. Because Mm -hmm. for myself, I practice yoga not so I can get better at yoga. I practice yoga so I can be better in my life. And so ultimately that's what I want my students to feel is that they can take that sensation they have on the mat and, and take it into their daily lives. So, you know, when their mind is telling them stories about whatever we have, our loops, you know, I'm not good enough, you know, I should be doing this, I used to be able to doing that, we're able just to, you know, stop ourselves, recognise that our mind is telling us stories, take a breath, sit in the sensation of what's coming up and just let it dissolve a little and then get on with our life from a place of responding rather than reacting, which... Ultimately, that's why I think we need to do more yoga, not because we want to be able to stand on our hands and do fancy tricks. So do you find yoga as a form of meditation? Mm. Like, is that how it obviously transcends into the other parts of your life when you're not on the mat to kind of bring in that meditative side of it into your everyday? Yeah, of course I do. Um, I mean, you can practice yoga in lots of different forms. You can practice yoga and you can come into a studio and just... Be all about your body and all about the physical and really just push yourself and force and and then perhaps it's not going to give you the benefits that I'm talking about. Yeah. But yoga itself is not just about the asana. There's eight limbs of yoga um, as described in the Yoga Sutras, which is one of the books that sort of outlined what yoga, I mean, yoga is. They put it into, a, I guess, an uh, understanding of it, deeper understanding. And so we have eight different limbs of yoga. We have the yamas, the niyamas, the asana, which is the physical, which is what most of us know yoga to be. Um, Pranayama, which is about the breath, pratyahara, dhyana, dharana, and samadhi. So they're Sanskrit names. I mean, ultimately, we practice all of them to come to a state of bliss. So we concentrate the mind on a single point. We come into a state of meditation. It can be while we're practicing asana um, because we're trying to focus on what we're doing. We're trying to breathe through whatever comes up. 
Um, and that, that brings that sense withdrawal into ourselves, um, which really is what meditation is, isn't it? It's just about um, stopping the thoughts of the mind, coming to that single point focus. I guess some people probably say they can get that from surfing or dancing or any sort of mm. um, activity where we're really present and mindful. Yeah. Although I also think that meditation where you're sitting down and you're dropping in is, for myself, this is my personal viewpoint, is different to when I'm on the yoga mat in a right. meditative state. So there's, there's the correlation between the physical and the spiritual when you're doing yoga and then obviously meditation is just more of the spiritual side. Is that how you differentiate between the two and, and what yeah. you're focusing on or...? I think for myself, yoga, the asana is, we hold a lot of stories and tension in our body. And so when we breathe and we move our body and we come to a place of focusing on the body, not in the way that we're trying to make it better, but we're just being with whatever's coming up from the body, we're acting on a more dense layer, I guess. And we're able to move through and shift some of these blockages or old patterns we're holding in our body. But it can also be meditative and it can be spiritual still. Mm-hmm. But yes, when you're sitting with just yourself sitting, it is a more subtle layer, I guess. Yes, so you're working more on just spirit. And I think the reason why yoga, the eight limbs of it, is so powerful is because it works on all of the different layers. Yeah, wow. That's very encapsulating um in in for for practice and you know there's so many benefits that we can look at i i think you know as you're talking about this and and you can see that it's it's much deeper practice for you you know i'm just thinking about you know for those of those of you who are listening to this conversation and taking on any type of physical exercise or physical movement or meditation anything for your mental or physical health you know when you start talking about that perceived commitment of three, five, six, perhaps seven days a week, you know, that can feel very daunting. But it's it's interesting to, to hear in your story that, and when you read your blog posts, it's, it's you have made this a priority. You have um, seen the value in this practice so much that it's become a priority. You've fought hard for it, even through motherhood as well. And even if we look at our own lifestyles, we have the power to make things a priority, particularly through minimalism. Uh, minimalism is just a tool to be able to say, you know, this is what's important, this is what's not important. So quite often we neglect these these really beneficial practices. So I'm just curious, like, what do you feel has made you so consistent in your practice um, you know, over a 17-year period through different life cycles, um, you know, really thinking about those who are finding committing to themselves and physical movement at that level a huge daunting task um, with so many things that are happening in life, you know, particularly if they were to attend a class that might be in the evenings after work and there's all these, these things happening in life. Uh, you know, what would you say to yourself and for those who are in that situation? Mm-hmm which I've been in that situation. I am in that situation. (laughs) I mean, I understand. First of all, I get it. I think we have busy lives today and we have many aspects, especially once you have children. Yep. We have have looking after ourselves. We have our relationships with our partners. We have caring for the family and home. We have our work. 
our, um, there's just so many different aspects, our friendship groups, travel, you know, team sports. So there's a lot of different aspects. Yes. I think first of all, it's acknowledging that you've got to be kind with yourself. But then there's also an aspect of self-discipline. Sure. I am, it is in my personality that I am quite disciplined in um, some forms. So for myself, um, once I find something that feels good and that benefits me and my whole life, I get a little bit angry when I can't do it. <laughs> so that makes me prioritize it. And I was very clear with my husband that that's very important to me. And it hasn't always been easy. So I think when I had my children, it obviously you have to surrender and you have to let go. And luckily, a lot of the yoga philosophy is also about um, letting go of control a little bit, that we are not necessarily in control of everything. Like yoga, a lot of it is about devotion to something bigger than ourselves, yes. and that um, we are co-creating with life. So we want to respond and create and manifest, but also life throws you curveballs and sometimes you can't control things except for our response. So I think as a parent, you have to let go of that idea that you can still go 5.30 every morning to your class and, you know, with a baby who when you're breastfeeding or when your husband's working and you have to look after the kids. So it's really about looking at your life and figuring out a schedule. When can I fit this in? Mm. And sometimes it means you're going to have to let go of something else. Sometimes it might mean, I mean, being very, very truthful with yourself, which truth is one of the yamas, <laughs> the eight limbs. Yes. Um, Perhaps what is not serving me? So can I let go of that TV show that I really like to watch and instead go to that class? Can I ask my mother-in-law, can I get a babysitter to come over while I commit to that class? Can I, instead of going with my friends for a glass of wine, can I ask them, hey, this week can we check out this workshop I've seen? Let's go check it out. So it's being a bit creative in your life. Mm. It's about making priorities of what is good for not only you but your family because I think as parents especially we can sometimes also think we have to give everything to our children and forget that we need to put on the oxygen mask for ourselves first and for myself I know I always think what do I want to teach my children and I teach them through what I do so there yeah. is the aspect I have to let go I can't always it's not about me anymore it's also about my my family but I also want to show them that creating a practice of self-reflection, which yoga can be for me, about um, creating a practice of movement so my body is healthy and fit and creating a practice which fills me up so then I can be a better mother is what I want them to be able to take away. I don't care about if they get great good maths grades or English grades. Like I care they do well, but I really care about teaching them to be a whole person who can stand in their sacred ground as an adult with all of the things that we have to deal with and cope with as, you know, responsible adults in life today mm. and um, not collapse in it um, because we've got a lot of stuff we're dealing with these days and it can be easy to become overwhelmed with anxiety or, you know, just feeling apathy or just, you know, not even not even trying because it's all too much. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Gemma, I'm sitting here, Marsha's looking at me, I'm nodding my head like, mm, yeah, that's, go, 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 you go, Gemma, you, you tell them. <laughs> because, because I think um, a couple of things I'm hearing in that is, it, 
like what yoga is giving back to you is helping you deal with your life. It's quite meta. It's like this cycle. Um, you know, it's teaching you devotion. It's teaching you service. It's teaching you to be example for your family. It's teaching you to let go. Like the very practice is fueling so much of what's in your life. So it would be almost crazy to not prioritize it. Um, mm, you it know, would be. and I think I don't know that, if you can hear my dogs in the background. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and our dog is Someone's obviously at the door. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, a hundred percent. I mean, I used to call it when I was with my um, children and they were young. I would say to my husband, "Listen, this is my antidepressant." Not right. because I felt depressed, but just to really help Make sure you don't get that to for that me. Place. Yeah. Yeah, and and that for me, it really was life giving, mm. and. You know, I was able to cope with being tired and not working at that stage, which can, can be quite confronting if you've worked your whole life and you identify yourself through what you um, do in a career. Mm. And so I say that it can be in any stage of your life. It just helps us come in and um, find that sense of self and self-worth without external gratification. So it's something that's obviously consistent throughout throughout your whole life. So, you know, life can throw anything at you, but you've always got yoga to send to you to help you through through those patches. Mm, and it's been different. So, you know, when I practiced after my good friend passed away a few years ago, I really couldn't do anything that was strong. Mm -hmm. I just went into a very slow, a very long practice where I would just hold asanas for a long time and breathe sometimes I start just crying on the mat and I just let myself be with whatever came up there's other times when I might need to go to classes more and be around a lot of people and get that group energy so that it can inspire me and give me a kick up the ass really mm. <laughs> and then there's other times where I just want to practice at home yeah or that's the only thing that works and I literally will find out any hour in my day and roll out my mat and I'd practice whatever would come up for me. Mm. Mm. It's interesting how in tune you are with yourself and what you, what you need at any given time. You well, know? that's what yoga does. Yeah. That's it makes amazing. you more sensitive yeah, you, you to actually, what you need. Yeah, my, I think you, you made a really good point because it's like, I don't think many of us have a compass of our, of our body and our needs. And, and what life is actually throwing at us. So I think this this message of a constant awareness um, is really, really powerful. And I think, you know, after this conversation, I'm feeling a little bit more motivated. It's like, how can you not, mm. you know, how can you not dedicate yourself to such a, a valuable practice? Um, and it just, it doesn't have to be yoga. It can be any movement, but I just think there's so many layers to, to yoga. Uh, so many, uh, I mean, you just gave us like three different contexts and environments in which you practice it <laughs> and how mm -hmm. you, and how you speed it up or slow it down, depending on your emotions. And mm -hmm. like, you know, that that's being in tune with yourself. That's in tune <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Um, okay. And, but I think with, with yoga, I know, I, I think I've read um on one of your recent posts or interviews that you've had you've, you've started adding strength uh exercises as well to your physical practice um yeah, is that something you're still experimenting with <laughs> so yes probably um i i think about two years ago I, all the time runs into one now um a couple of years ago i i 
started getting a little bit of lower back pain and I recognized, okay, perhaps so much deep, deep, strong yoga wasn't serving me anymore, which is again about being just in tune with your body. And so I started practicing a little bit of Pilates as well to, to really stabilize through the hips. Now, this is where I guess the idea of minimalism comes in as well, because it was very hard for me to give up that five, six day a week yoga practice to do a four day week yoga practice and two days a week of something that my body needed, which is the Pilates. But you can't do everything. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, yes, I still do that. And it's actually been wonderful because what has happened, which I think naturally happens if you're a long-term yoga practitioner, is you can still have a very strong physical asana practice, but you start to move into more subtle layers. So the pranayama is a practice where you sit with breath work for um, generally about 20 minutes a day, although if you're on a hill on a, in Byron Bay in a hinterland, you can sit for as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you, and it's still a practice of yoga and it's still a practice of coming to yourself. It's just on a more subtle layer. So that's been a wonderful experience for me, letting go of the asana practice a couple of days a week to incorporate um, the Pilates, is that I've just naturally become more in, interested and um, created space for the pranayama practice, which is very, very powerful, I find. I see. And with on top of that, you, you dance salsa. How, how often do you do that? As much as I can. <laughs> um, no, I, I go to one class a week. Yes. And then I dance socially one night a week. So I think I recognized probably, I don't know, five, six years ago that I was looking at other cultures because I often reflect why is it that so many of us are stressed out or including myself sometimes, you know, what's, what's going on, what's missing? And I was just thinking a lot of other societies still incorporate dance and song into their adult lives. And I recognise that when I look at Australia, we go to nightclubs when we're teenagers and in our early 20s or concerts, and then it sort of just drops off. Mm -hmm. And there isn't really anything for us in our community to have that in our life. And I love dance and I love music, so... That has been my solution to that. So the salsa, the Latin scene, because you can go out, you can dance for three, four hours. It's no one, you know, hardly anyone's even drinking there. It's really just about moving your body. It's about freedom of expressing yourself. It, it's fun. It's joy. It's play. I think all of those things are really important too. And for me, yoga is movement and it's about coming home to myself. But it's not necessarily complete playful freedom like I get from dance or people probably get from other forms of movement where it's team sports or surfing or things like that. I identify them differently yet the same because they're both mindful practices. Yeah. When you're dancing salsa, you're following someone leading you. You're really just free in the moment. I see. That sounds like so much fun. It does. <laughs> who, 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 do you, who do you dance salsa with? Do you, do you... <laughs> Whoever asks me. Oh, right. Oh, right. I, so when you say three to four hours, so is there, it's not like um, there's choreography and you lead up to some sort of performance. It's like, is it just sort of this, this freelance sort of uh, activity that you can just do ad hoc? Yeah, so I'm, I mean, in all the cities around Australia and probably around the world, you have these um, Latin dance studios where you can go and you can learn the steps so you can follow people when they lead you. So the guys learn the lead, the girls learn to follow. 
it's quite traditional like that. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you have these parties where or nights out, which either a lot of the bars around Sydney host or the actual um, dance studios host. And you you the, you know, as a woman, you stand on the sideline, I guess. Although I don't now, I actually go and ask people to dance with me. Um, because I feel more confident and comfortable. But you generally get to know people and you ask them for a dance and it's it's certainly not, it's maybe 1% of people are about trying to find, you know, someone to go home with that night. <laughs> but I think 99% of people there are just there to dance. Right. And you just do a dance together, one or two, and then you say thanks for the dance and <laughs> wait for someone else go. to ask you. But, okay. That's that's, awesome. that's not what I visualise no. for this process. <laughs> it reminds me of Despicable, Despicable Me 3. When <laughs> that guy was shot up. Sorry. Cartoon reference. Yeah. That little kid. No, I'm trying little, to think of it. I've seen yeah, that movie. Yeah, yeah. That I little, don't know what you're talking when about. When he was asking out the um, like his oldest daughter for a dance and he was like dancing his little tail off to, until like she said yes. Oh. Yeah, anyway. It's <laughs> yes. hilarious. I'm going to I'm gonna have to attach like a, a GIF or something. A GIF. Uh, a GIF. Sorry, Marsha. A GIF. Um, but um, Every time. Yeah. So that's like it's quite a social activity then in Sydney like what's happening with this salsa. That's we might that's have cool. to suss out if there's anything. It here. happens in yeah. Canberra too. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Uh, thanks, Gemma. Thanks it for does, the reassurance. Thanks for the reassurance. Because we were actually last week, I was just looking at because we both used to dance like m- mainly hip hop when we were younger, and we both miss it. Like yeah. we watch some performances on YouTube every now and then, and and then I was like, oh, let me just have a look if there's anything for adults, because we're so out of practice and um. But like a just a beginner's class that we can both go to, and and there is some, yeah, in Canberra, and we've been thinking about maybe doing that. But I think salsa actually sounds so much more fun. It, I think dance in general sounds yeah. fun, but um, but I just think I love the variety in the movement that you have in your life. You know, so right now we've got a mixture of uh, salsa, yoga, and Pilates, um, all giving mm-hmm. you different things. And um, and you have a you have a busy life. I mean, you you're a mother. You you run the Compassionate Road. You're you're an author. You hold a lot of like. There's a lot going on, but you prioritize all of this movement. And so, like, how many hours is this per week? I mean, this is give people perspective. Or, or you're shaking your head, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. No, like, it's just the way you mention it. Yeah. Um, what's uh, like? So, are we looking at? If we to add it up, are we at ten hours here, fifteen hours a week of all your collective activities? Mm, five, six. I guess about ten hours. Sure. Probably. It, dep- it depends. It moves with what I've got going on because we have to be flexible. Some some weeks, my kids are sick. For example, this week, one of my daughter, my one of my daughter, I've only got one. Daughter. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter is sick. Um. So I'm here with her today, and that meant I let go of going to my Pilates this morning mm-hmm. you know it comes up for a moment like that's annoying and then I breathe through it and I go, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll go tomorrow <laughs> yeah. um and then some weeks I'm really busy at work and I'll have to cut back how long I am on the yoga mat and then other mm-hmm. times where I have more space I can really indulge in that or if I don't have anything the next day and I go dance in salsa I can stay till midnight but so if I have something, I have to be up home commitment. in bed. <laughs> yeah, you still make that commitment every single day by the sounds of it to do to move your body in some way, you know, and that's – you mentioned before that you've got self-discipline. 
But for mm-hmm. people out there that don't have the amazing discipline and, and will that you do, like what would be something that you could recommend just to get them started, just to get them onto that mat or to sign up to that to that salsa class and to make that commitment to take that time out? Because obviously I think for people with children, it's that's the biggest hurdle, right? It's the biggest obstacle to get out the door and make that time out and to say, no, I need to prioritize myself as well so that I can show up for my family much better um, day in, day out. So what would you recommend? And people like us who have quite a lot of time. Yeah, that don't have children. uh, Time on our hands. (laughs) Just um, don't have the discipline. (laughs) And the means to to do so. Um, Yeah, I think it's it's, it's related to, like there's so many of us sitting there like, oh, I, I should. Like, it's like, I should be eating well, but do you eat well? It's like, I should be moving my body and experiencing the social benefits of, of movement, but I'm not. So it's gone from this should to to the act of doing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, knowledge without action doesn't help anyone in any way, form. Mm. <laughs> Does it? With anything, you know, we can know what we should eat and we don't eat it. It doesn't help us. We should know that we are physical humans and we need to move our body. And thinking about it doesn't help us. So we can love our partner in our minds and not show them any loving action. And that feeling of love means nothing really, ultimately, if we don't yep. show them love. So I think for everyone it's different. Sure. With any making change in any way, shape or form, whether it's food, a career, a, a, a thought pattern, a form of exercise, you have to figure out why you want to do it. So I'm very, very big about we all have different whys. But for us to make a change, we have to get pretty clear on why we want to make a change. Mm. And that might take some time and a little bit of self-reflection. It could be perhaps health reasons because moving our body is very important for our physical health. It might be for energetic reasons um, or even energy reasons because... The more we move physically, I mean, not constantly, but if we move every day, and it doesn't have to be dynamic, it could just be a walk even for some people because we're all different constitutions, so we all need different amounts of movement, types of movement. But when we do move, we get more energy. Hmm. So we feel more energetic in our lives and have more, um, you know, store to, to do things that we love. I think the other important thing is to know that if you don't like something straight away, try it once or twice. And if it's not speaking to you, try something else because what works for me might not work for you. Yeah. And that's very, there's so many different choices out there. It's probably why people get overwhelmed actually. We have have like choice fatigue. Yeah, you're so right. And I think like like who you associate with in whatever that practice is, is really important. I mean, if you look at our journeys, that that, that instructor in Bali killed us and, and that was mm. our experience with a yoga class <laughs> versus your yeah. experience in Perth that completely transformed your life. So, mm-hmm. and, and I've heard the same thing in teams. Like, you know, if you put yourself on the wrong volleyball, netball, basketball team and then you find the right team, it's a completely different experience. Same with salsa dancing, same with any practice like i think we need to spend a lot of time sort of assessing the community and trying different communities within that type of movement 
to find your right home, it's perhaps. It's like me even finding exactly. that YouTube video that I really liked and practiced yoga pretty much every single day. But then when that disappeared, I was like, I stopped. Yeah. So it's finding, like you mentioned before, in the old, um, you know, when you were younger, how they used to have gurus. It's like finding your teacher that can mm-hmm. actually accommodate you as a person and as a student so that you can get the the best benefit out of it. And I think, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, but I think for me, it's regardless, it could also deep down inside just be an excuse as to why I haven't bothered to do anything further about it and find another class. You know, my why obviously wasn't strong enough to persist with it. Um, yeah. And also it can be scary. Like it can be, I mean, I was really nervous before I started salsa classing as an adult hmm. who, who I do a lot of things and I put myself out there. For me to go to a salsa class, I can't tell you I had like a lot of fear about it. Hmm. And it took me a long time of thinking about it before I finally did it. And I don't think I even told my husband, if I'm honest. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I was almost so embarrassed. I was yeah. like, oh, my goodness, you know, I just really want to dance and I'm not a good dancer, but he's going to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> um, I, and I couldn't go to a group class because that was too overwhelming for me to start. So I found someone who I could go to and feel safe, and I probably did that for six months, just one-on-one, once a week. And I'm telling this story because I, it's not always just like you just go to a gym and I can understand we have blockages. Then to social dance, I probably drove outside of the um, the nightclubs where they have the dancing nights and sat in my car for half an hour freaking out about going in by myself. Wow. And I would call my husband going, I can't do it. I don't know anyone. They're going to think I'm a fool. I don't know how to dance. I'd call my teacher going, oh, my goodness, I'm stuck. I just can't go in. And I'd go home and I did that probably four or five times. <laughs> And then I was like, okay, what is stopping me? Mm. I really want to dance. I really, I know that part of dancing is social dancing. And so I recognize what's stopping me is I feel a little bit alone and I need like a a wingman. Yeah. And so I went up to, I did do a group class. I did a few and I found a girl who was new as well. And I said, would you come out with me? And then every week I would go and I'd pick her up and we'd go together. So it's about, I guess, also identifying what is stopping you? Do you need someone to come with you? Can you ask mm. a friend? Can you enroll them in the journey with you? Mm. And then it's overcoming those obstacles rather than just putting mm. up your hands and saying, okay, yep, I need someone, forget it. You know, like it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, it's actually yeah. outraging. Gemma, that's like awesome courage. And I think all these examples, this makes me think of like high school because in <laughs> high school, we're in structured environments where we have to, like we have to mm-hmm. sign up for physical education. We have to run cross country. We have to participate in carnivals. We have to do dancing or line dancing together. Um, so, and then, and there was always that fear. Like there was like, oh, I've got to run tomorrow cross country. Where am I going to, where am I going to come in the race? Or, oh, I have to do dancing tomorrow. What are, what are other people going to think of me when I can't dance? Like, it's it's like we're kind of forced into those situations by that very nature. But then as we become adults and we have the liberty of kind of spending our, our time however we like, it's like 
to, to really fight for these benefits of physical movement, we really are kind of pushing against our natural nature to not put ourselves out there and to risk embarrassment. Um, so I think it shows a lot of courage and its development in itself to be able to overcome that. But what I'm hearing in these stories, um, whether it's, it's like your yoga practice in a community or your dancing practice in a community, these are really enriching experiences for living life. I mean, how much do we learn about ourselves and each other when we're put in these situations of discomfort and newness? And, um, and it's like these create memories, um, really tangible, reflective memories that are so good for our soul. So I think, um, you know, kudos to you for like, for, for doing that. And um, that's quite inspiring. Oh, thank you. Thank and you. kicking it up a notch as you're getting older rather than paring it down as you're getting older. You know, you've picked up the salsa on top of the yoga and the Pilates. <laughs> yeah. And I think our tendency is to like recluse and sort of go into our shells more and more as we get older. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, yeah, I think it's, it's bringing back that play in many, in many ways. It's like, it's still that hockey environment. It's just a different type of context and evolution, um, mm. you know, probably in your physical practice. Yeah. And they do say, I mean, play is very important and it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical play. Sure. Um, but just when you're thinking about play, well, studies show that to be productive, we also need to have playtime, you know, play dates like children as adults. Yes. And we don't prioritise it enough, I think, in Western society, which is now set up as a society where we're always doing, where there's not enough time for self-reflection perhaps, where we um, reward achievement, which means we always have to do more to achieve more. <laughs> And play is exactly the opposite to that. It's what we do because we find it sparks us up. It like it lights up something inside of us. There's absolutely no connection to achieving something. It's just we do it because we love it and it lights us up. And yeah. that helps fuel that fire in life. And then we can take that fuel. And when we are being productive in our work or careers or with our children, it flows on. Yeah. And that's from studies. That's not just from me wobbling on. That's actually um, a lot of studies show that we need time, downtime, we need playtime, self-reflection. It all helps with productivity. Yeah. And this is not, this goes beyond your screen and Netflix and escapism. This is actual seeking out those experiences. I remember we were talking to a shop owner, a local shop owner here. Um, I, don't, I forgot how we landed on the conversation, but he's been practicing um, African drums for like almost 10 years. And when he started talking about this as something he does with his wife and he starts doing a bit of African dance, um, he's a tall white guy, by the way. Um, and, and he, his eyes just lit up. It's like his passion. And it's not, it wasn't like he was trying to achieve some sort of goal with this. It's that he generally just enjoyed his time with the community and just banging his hands on these African drums and it was just so inspiring to see and, and and you know he's he's an entrepreneur he's got a very busy life but this is something he really values and this is the the playtime that he prioritizes in his life um and yeah. i think when we're all looking at our schedules um you know you know your schedule and your time is a great reflection of your priorities it's like are we can we use those minimalist principles to really remove everything and then piece it back together with what we want to put into life and is play is physical movement one of those priorities or has it missed the list 
and we've got to ask ourselves why. Mm, yeah, exactly. Why do you guys think it, um, you have a bit of a block with it? Well, I think, oh, okay, so I'll talk personally. I think for me, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty committed person. So when I get into a routine, like I've been largely eating one meal a day since April. Um, mm. and I've been, uh, and I've been on and off with, uh, sort of just some body work, uh, some body, body weight exercises at home. I just do these little seven minute workouts, but I'm really big on chains and like, if I break the chain, then I fall off. So it has to be like daily. So this happens in everything. So I, like I might pick up a writing practice at a thousand words a day and I'm insanely productive for like two weeks, but as soon as I miss out then I will not start again for like another month. And it's the same with my physical practice. Like if I'm not playing basketball every day, if I'm not moving my body every day and then I break the chain, then I lose, break trust with myself and I find it very hard to sort of get back on. It's like kind of like this all or nothing approach for me mm. Um, mm. has been my experience. And I guess for me, it's, I've struggled a lot with like, I had chronic fatigue when I was in year 10 and that has, that was what, a while ago, 15, 16 years ago. And it was kind of a battle since then. Like I was really active before then as a child. Um, and after that, I've just kind of struggled to pick up my energy to a level where I can practice something consistently. I'm a bit like Michael, like I need to do something quite regularly for it to feel like it's part of my routine, but I've never mm. been able to get into that routine. Um, and I struggle a lot with anxiety as well. So like every day I'm stressing about my to-do list and how many things I have to get done. So to add on top of that something else, it's like, are you crazy? And when I am on the mat, I'm just, my mind is like, I've struggled to be present and in that moment and to wholeheartedly just enjoy what I'm currently doing. So that's been probably the reason why I've kind of struggled with it. And also like, I'm not very, I used to be flexible, but I'm not anymore. Oh, and I used to mm. do martial arts as well when I was younger, I forgot about that. Mm. Um, and so, I, you know, when I was doing martial arts, I'd be able to do the splits and was very flexible, but I've never been able to get back to that state. And what you were talking about before, it's not about, you know, whether you can touch your toes or not. But I think for a lot of people out there, like myself, would struggle to go to a class because you can't do half of the things and the poses that they ask you to do. So you feel like a bit of a doofus even showing up, you know, like, if you're in your own environment, at least you can control and there's no one watching you and judging what you can and can't do. But then the class is that discipline to actually go somewhere and commit your time to it rather than have the self-discipline at home to continue that practice. So it's a bit of both, you know, the, I wish that there was kind of like a mix of the two so that you kind of had no choice but to show up. But I also have to listen to my body because some days I just, I don't have it in me to actually do any physical activity. So, um, yeah, it can be a bit of a struggle and it obviously has been, but I think this conversation, I mean, I did <laughs> this morning, I did a 10 minute yoga session because I was like, oh, we're talking to Gemma. I need to get into the mindset <laughs> and stuff. 
And it was like, yes, it was 10 minutes, but it was 10 minutes. You know, like I actually took that time to do it. It's better than nothing. So even, you know, like I know all of these things in theory, but it's actually doing them. That's obviously the hardest part and doing Mm. it without distraction, without feeling like something is going to take you off that mat. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think what you voiced is very, very common. Mm. I think especially around the idea of um, not being flexible, I think that's probably the number one question and, and probably fear that stops people coming to yoga studios. I think everyone I've spoken to who have yoga studios say the most common question when people call up is they say, you know, is it okay if I come but I'm not that flexible or yeah. I can't do a handstand so, I'm, you know, I shouldn't come, yeah. which of course misses the point. But I think it also demonstrates what has happened with perhaps yoga and the social media movement even. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe what the studios are putting out there now a bit more is that it's it's you've got to look really good in matching brand new your yoga Lululemon gear or whatever. Yeah. You've got to be able to put yourself into a pretzel in a size eight. Yeah. Look really good while you're doing it. Yeah. Ideally in a sunset <laughs> in the background. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, well, you're not spiritual and you shouldn't be in a yoga class. I mean, I honestly would not. And I actually think not, it's really dangerous. Yeah. I wouldn't go to a class in Bondi where you live because that's like, <laughs> that is what you just described is what you would expect from everyone that goes to yoga yoga in a Bondi studio. Is it not? Like most and, and of, it, it is a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is a lot that. I think there are some studios that aren't like that. Mm. But, and I think people don't necessarily deliberately make that the um, environment. It's just what it is, what has happened naturally. What, I don't know the the studio I work at um, because it's not my main job. I share it because I don't know. I woke up one day and started sharing it and felt like it was time to share it with people rather than just keep it for myself. Yeah. But it's small. There's only 10 to 15 people in a class. People are generally over 40. So wow. they come at a different stage of their life mm. where they're not just interested about, you know, the physical, I guess. They come with yeah. injuries. They come with husbands who've passed away. They come with suffering from fourth stage cancer themselves. They've got babies at home, whatever. They're at, they've been through a lot. Yeah. And for me, I love it because I think it creates a very different environment in a yoga studio when you're coming at it from a place where we are all different in our bodies. The purpose is not to get better at a pose. The purpose is to become more self-aware, to, mm. to connect to that divine place within us, to feel a bit of compassion for self. You know, like what you said about we, I think anxiety is rife in our society now. Our to-do lists are never-ending. Yeah. And um, when we can create something, and even if it takes a long time and even if we feel really uncomfortable during it, the longer we do it and the more consistent we are, like you said, you did 10 minutes. If we did 10 minutes three to five times a a week, I feel like most people will get a little bit more space between their thoughts and recognise that the anxiety is when we're, um, you know, looking into the future rather than being present. Yeah. It doesn't always work though. I get that. You yeah. know, I, I just read Sarah Wilson's, um, is it Make the Beast Beautiful? Have you guys read that? 
Yeah, I. <laughs> it's funny. I read half of it and I was like, this is actually making me more anxious. <laughs> yeah. So, I <laughs> and I found that some of her thought, like it was for me, um, this isn't a judge of her book or her writing style. It felt a little bit all over the place. So I struggled to get through the book, but I did read half of it. So I, I do understand a lot of what she's kind of gone through. And um, I think I think it's, and then we make the beast beautiful, I think. I'm not mm. sure if that's what you said, but yeah, that's the name of the book. And, and what one part that I thought was very, a, a wonderful point she made is that she goes into this, I think she calls them spirals, when she gets, you know, really into that anxious spiral. Mm. She she practices, she talks about practicing yoga, meditation, but when she's in that space of real anxiety, it doesn't help her. Yeah. Because she's so far into it, it's almost like mm. very hard to bring herself back to that center. Mm. So I also recognize that um, it's not just a quick fix for everyone. That's why for yeah. me, it's a lifetime practice. Yeah. And you got it at a good age, you know, probably before all of that started kicking in for a lot of people, anxiety. I mean, I imagine today, 17-year-olds suffer with a lot of anxiety. But when we were 17, I don't remember anybody our age talking about it. It wasn't really a thing. I mean, I think a lot of it social media has to play a part in. But, um, you know, you caught it probably I mean I can't speak for you but you probably caught it at a time where you could develop that practice so that you could not well I guess yeah deal with with those aspects in life much better oh it changed the trajectory of my life Mm. really and I say that without any um pause my my mum had suffered from a um, very very severe nervous breakdown as a child um you know, a lot of the teenagers around me, you know, there was a lot of drugs. There was just, I mean, no one really spoke about feelings. And I sort of was lucky that I found yoga. At the same time, it, it, I found, I started studying naturopathy. And, at, you know, I don't know if it was a coincidence, but it also was the time that I became vegan because I became very aware of that we are all connected, that all of our our actions have a consequence that, um, you know, it just highlighted that sensation of, oh, will I say compassion without sounding cheesy? I know I'm from the compassion. Yeah, you, but... you know, Jamie, you actually, you, 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 you actually landed in a spot that I wanted to go to because you, you did mention like a practice of self-compassion with yoga. Um, and I know you've, you've, you've written about uh, on multiple occasions like, you know, what yoga has taught you about, you know, I suppose compassion to others, but could you, I mean, yes, look, it is a, it's, it's, it, I know it can come across as a cheesy phrase, but um, I think it, it, it articulates like the feeling we're trying to get across, but, you know, in your journey with veganism, you know, ha, what has been the, I suppose, the direct or indirect links between your practice of yoga and compassion for animals or compassion for, for others in general? I think yoga, if you practice with sincerity and um, I don't even know if I went into it, you know, I didn't really go into it for the spiritual aspect at all at the time. I really first walked in there just as a physical practice. I think what happens is it generally works through the layers though. You become concentrating on breath. You become aware of your thoughts. You become more sensitive to yourself and to energies around you, which means 
naturally, I think for a lot of people who practice yoga for a long time, they become sensitive that when they're eating an animal, they've actually um, murdered, taken someone's life and they have given that life unwillingly. Like no animal just comes up and says, can you slaughter me for your burger that you want to eat? You know, I think I know that it's obvious for a lot of people, but sometimes we forget that um, animals have been killed for us to eat um, because we enjoy the taste of them because we can survive without eating meat. The huge majority of us anyway, I should say, I think 95% of us um, personally, I think, can, can thrive without meat. Um, and certainly 100% of us can thrive without 99% of the meat we eat. Mm. And so I think you become aware that what you eat, if that is an animal, it's not very kind, ultimately. Yeah. It doesn't feel very good. And, um, and then if you start looking into the, the actual, the eight limbs of yoga, the yamas, which um, look at sort of the moral commandments, I guess, and which... And a lot of them relate to a lot of religious texts, I guess, really, where we look at the basics of how we conduct ourselves as humans in this life of, you know, treating others as we like to be treated, doing not harming others, um, truth, like truthfulness. So really looking at our actions with a clear lens, which when you start looking at just, you know, eating animals, because we're talking about that, it becomes very hard to tell ourselves the lies of what society has said for a long time, which has allowed society to kill billions of animals every year. You know, we told ourselves we need to have milk to have strong bones, which is not true. Um, we've told ourselves we need to eat meat to be healthy. We now know actually most studies show the opposite is true, actually. Mm. The more meat we eat, the more um, Western diseases we actually get. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of not stealing, well, I classify um, taking someone's life when they have not willingly given it um, as stealing, personally. Um, so, you know, just moral codes of conduct sure. that when you start taking the time to reflect, I think it becomes blindingly obvious that we can't continue living just from a place of, I want to say greed. I don't, I don't think we normally associate selves as being greedy Mm. but when you think about the way we live generally today you know consumerism eating so much meat um you know trying to possessions a lot of possessions it is it's greed and yeah it's like this excessive this excessive desire yeah yeah exactly and life has i think life can provide us with whatever we need but not the greediness we have yep and i think we're becoming aware of that hopefully quick enough um yeah you're absolutely yeah, right I think, I think it's a it's a, it's a, again it comes down to the awareness uh, like you know i think you know before we were vegan i think you know at least for me i was unaware that mm. i was prioritizing sort of my taste buds and and just my upbringing over making decisions that may have been a bit harder and uncomfortable but ultimately um, serve a more compassionate purpose. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's the awareness of those actions which is which is becoming really powerful as we progress and evolve. Absolutely. Well, awareness gives us um, empowerment. Now that we know that, um, for example, 
for a lot of people, I think they get held back from being plant-based because they used to think that you needed meat to be healthy. So therefore they were going to eat meat. Whereas now we have a lot of studies coming out proving the opposite. We have a lot of mainstream journalism covering these issues. We now know the effect that it is having on our planet, the way we um, raise animals in factory farms. We know that it is the number one reason for rainforest destruction, for water pollution, for land degradation. So I think we can use these to make changes which aren't necessarily comfortable and use them to empower us, which I think is what why we're seeing a big shift. Yep. And I think perhaps the yoga movement, maybe this is because I'm a yogi, I think this, but personally, I think it's great that there are yoga studios popping up everywhere because even if people go to them as a physical practice, what happens if they come again and again and they're on their mat and they're breathing and they're with their body and they start to find a place within where they can feel more centred, they stop looking externally for gratification, which is probably the most powerful place to start mm. when you're looking at minimalism mm-hmm. and you're looking at changing your diet and probably even self-talk as well, you know, just feeling more content. Yep. I think, gee, I think that's a really <laughs> beautiful place to perhaps wrap it up, Gemma, because I think we've just found the intersection of um, both minimalism and veganism in yoga practice. I don't know how you've done that. Um, but, um, but I think, yeah, I think there's a lot to take away from this conversation. And I hope that if you're listening to this like us, um, you are seeing the, the multiple dimensions of physical practice, particularly around yoga and, and the philosophy around it. What are those? Uh, it's called the eight. What's it called? The eight? The eight limbs. So we have the eight limbs. yama, which are moral commandments almost. Sure. Niyama, which are sort of inner observations and disciplines. Yep. Pranayama with the breath. We have the asana, which is the physical practice. Pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, samadhi, which they all start looking at more um, the meditation aspect and really the sense of um, – what would you call it enlightenment i guess or, sure yeah wow the eight limbs okay I, I think we need to put that in the show notes even spell it out mm. i think you had an article you wrote on that as well which we'll link to um but i just think um that's the type of stuff at that deeper level that can really get you connected and give you meaning to to a practice like yoga um when you look at the philosophy and sort of the embedded values um, that it has, I think, is really motivating uh, for particularly for us and for a lot of people in our audience. So thank you for sharing that. Um, as we as we wrap up, like, what's the you know, how can we support you? Where can people find uh, your work um, uh, moving forward? I guess my website is just a free, re- not just it is a free resource <laughs> for people to access, which has um, plant based recipes. I'm a naturopath, so I try and make. of them healthy (laughs) and easy because I'm also not a professional chef. I do have a cookbook out, which um, I made with a professional chef, but I really try and um, facilitate recipes that are easy for us to make where there's a lot of information about health, wellness, sometimes uncomfortable information about 
how we are raising animals today. Yep. And I share that because I think that the truth can set us free, really. Yes. But sometimes it's uncomfortable, but we can use it to facilitate change. There's a free online course, an online guide. I do that as my, um, I guess, service to life that I can put back to people. And I hope if you go to that website, it will um, just help facilitate change in a good way for you. That's that's awesome, Gemma. So, the guys, that's the thecompassionateroad.com. Um, you can check it out there and we'll, we'll have a link in the show notes as well as a link to uh, the conversation we had with Gemma four years ago, um, really unpacking her a creative and, and, and vegan journey um, to substantiate with this. But um, yeah, please go support her work. Um, it's, it's such a selfless act um, and you do a lot of research uh, with the content that you put out as well. Um, you are a little bit nerdy that way, which is, which is why I always enjoy reading your articles. Um, <laughs> so, um, but uh, look, yeah, thanks again for, for hanging out with us. And um, there's so many other topics we could discuss. I mean, we didn't even get into fashion. Um, or the official, like I'm really into um, sea life at the moment, Marsha, which mm. we need to investigate more. Nice to know. Yes. Um, so uh, maybe maybe we'll have to get you back on later on and, and unpack a different topic, but um, it's been good. I think we really needed to get the physical movement out. Yes, thanks for the inspiration. And I think it's it's interesting to see someone that's so busy and that has a family that literally still makes time every week makes 10 hours of time to prioritize something that's so important so you've definitely inspired me to you've given me a bit of a kick up the butt to um to <laughs> not have any excuses and and just and just do yeah and to feel feel those benefits uh, you're gonna start somewhere that's 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 a, the hardest part yes yeah, that's it. <laughs> thanks for having me guys i really enjoyed it i always love love your work and everything you do thank you oh, Gemma. thank you All right, guys, there it is. Episode 27 of the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that one. Man, we covered a lot in that conversation and I, I've definitely feel more inspired about prioritizing movement in my life and I know Marsha feels the same way. But look, there was just a couple key takeaways that I wanted to reflect on very quickly with you. And uh, one of Gemma's quotes really stuck with me. She said that I don't practice yoga so I can be better at yoga. I practice yoga so I can be better at my life. Um, man, it, you know, I think that's why she's so intrinsically motivated to practice and practice and practice on such a consistent basis because she knows the benefits that yoga is giving back to her life. And you hear that in her voice. It's very genuine in terms of how she addresses her day-to-day -day, uh, living with the principles of yoga. And that leads me to the next point, which is the eight limbs of yoga, which we'll be sure to link in the show notes as well but I think that philosophy is a really great way to to bring in um, some more compassionate um, ideals to your practice and add some meaning to your practice of movement as well uh, and then lastly I, I just wanted to give her a big shout out uh, for inspiring us around this concept of play um, and you know how she makes time for salsa every week um, and uh, it doesn't have to be salsa necessarily, but it, it just got us thinking about, you know, what activities that we could introduce into our week. And yes, it might be a bit of an investment uh, to pay those term fees or, you know, it's an investment of time. But man, I mean, spending a couple hours a week doing something so fun in a community as opposed to sitting at home after a long day and just unwinding on the Internet. 
um, you know, really goes back to what we were talking about a few episodes ago about digital minimalism and finding those activities that you can do in life um, to replace screen time. Um, and I think, you know, movement is a, such a positive thing that you can be doing for your body and for your well-being. Um, anyway, so those, those are some things that I got out of the conversation. Um, you know, if you wanted to look at any of the resources uh, from this episode, uh, you can find them at the show notes, which would be theminimalistvegan.com slash 027. That's theminimalistvegan.com slash 027. So that's it. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we really appreciate your time and attention uh, for listening to our podcast. Uh, if you haven't already, would love to get your feedback in the form of a rating or review at iTunes uh, or any podcast app that you're using. Um, but till then, here's to living with less stuff and more compassion. Peace. <laughs>